Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch podcast. This is episode three, and this week we are covering Mistborn, the Final Empire, chapters four and five, wherein everyone got exactly what they wanted, more or less. Uh, I am Data, and with me is Jamie, Jack, and I'm Pete Jones. No, it's, <laughs> it's Joe. Strap in, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. I guess we'll start out with just saying that at the end of the last episode, I asked you guys what you wanted to see, and Jamie said she was hoping to see sort of less subtle powers, and Dak wanted to see, like, Magneto flying through the air and metal flying around, and Joe just said that he was ready for some action, and I think we got all of that in these two chapters. So it's like he predicted what you wanted. What did you guys think of these uh, these chapters? I really liked them. <laughs> I um, definitely got really what we asked for. Um seeing how some of the the other powers get to work was really cool and uh sort of seeing how this new crew is going to come together and and sort of learning about what they're all going to do so Mm. yeah i I really enjoyed them yeah the um seeing all the different powers in action was definitely something else i mean i not gonna lie i did get a little bit confused during the action scene just like okay there's a lot going on right now i need to like process everything that's happening just because every time he used a power he made a point of saying he pushed this and then this happened i'm just like oh okay gotta 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 follow um but the action itself the way he used some of the powers and the things he did especially when he was using that ingot towards the end um against the um the was it the haze killers yeah yeah um that was that was intense and i thought very creative so I, i really enjoyed that and in the lead up to that, I enjoyed meeting all these other characters and sort of getting a, a bit more of an idea of what you need on a crew like this. Yeah, going off what Dak said, I, I I had to reread some of the some of the action sequences. Like he he pushed this, then he pulled this, then it was this metal to do this. I had to like keep rereading, being like, wait, 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 which one did what? This did that, and this did that. And just when I thought I'd had it down, he used a, a metal that I thought was used for something else. So uh, <laughs> it's which is fine. I just you know I. I'm having I w- it was a little f- trouble I had a little trouble following it for the most part it was pretty awesome and uh, both the chapters there was a lot of there's a lot of meat in both of these chapters and I appreciated that it was it was a fun read yeah he's definitely not slowing down with giving us kind of explanations of stuff at this point yeah it's like the exposition is coming fast and heavy but again it is like for the most part it is coming in a simple enough way like I was saying last week that you can still follow it it doesn't feel like like someone is just giving you information so it's like all right the audience needs to know what's going on so let's just dump information on them but it it feels yeah. pretty natural yeah i was almost i was kind of shocked that like the first chapter talks about the the actual heist or whatever is actually overthrowing the entire government that was uh, kind of a shock to me that that's what this job is so that's a little bit uh, uh, uh he's, he's got lofty ambitions there oh, yeah, it's just like the first book in the series and that's your starting point all right let's take let's take down the 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 emperor shit all right we're not we're just not like uh, stuffing about <laughs> let's go straight into it <laughs> yeah it'd be like if uh book three of avatar the last airbender was book one it's just like oh, yeah, let's go get him <laughs> <laughs> That would have been interesting, all right. I don't think that it would have worked out well for Aang. But, of course, there wouldn't have been a comet, so, you know, maybe it would have been sort of even. I don't know, especially if 
Aang had been ruthless enough for like uh, what's the guy in Korra who's the Airbender who like suffocates uh, the Zaheer. Queen. Yeah, as a here. See if he could do that to the Fire Lord, they could have been over really fast. <laughs> okay, I think this is a good point to get into something that we haven't touched on a lot so far, and I'm curious what you guys think of just sort of the writing style as a whole. And I feel like we've been really positive when talking about the writing so far, and I don't want anyone to feel like you know we're just saying nice things. If you have some issues, like with you know how the writing is going, I want to hear that too, so that we can get both sides. And it's just I, I thought this was a good moment to stop and talk about that because in his annotations for these chapters he t- or and the previous chapters, he talks about how back in the prologue, when he goes in and kills everybody in Tresting's uh, manor house, his editor was like, you should put an action scene in here. You should show this happening so that we get an action scene early on. And he said, no, this is not the right time for that. Then you get to the part where he kind of leads the Inquisitor off in the last couple chapters we read. And his editor said, well, here, you should have the action scene here with like him and the Inquisitor. And he's like, no, no, this is not the right time for that because either – we're going to get into this action scene and you're not going to understand what's happening because you don't understand the powers well enough, or we'll have to stop and explain the powers at this point in the story. And that'll slow down the pace of the novel getting where I want it to go. So he has very specific ideas about how he's writing and how these things should go. And I'm curious what you guys think of his writing style, since he's very specific about how his writing has to work. Now that you mentioned, I can definitely see like, He's, he's waited so long to um, get into the action scene until after we've had all this exposition on how the powers work and what most of the various metals do. So I can totally see that now that you've mentioned it. Um, I yeah. do think I was a bit uncertain during the um, during the fight scene itself. But aside from that, it's like it's fairly like the whole thing is fairly easy to read. Like you know, there's always a sense of all right, this is where everyone is, this is who everyone is, and this is what's around them. It's never like that chaotic. Oh, I didn't realize that was there or didn't realize this person was in the room or anything like that it's always very clear spatially i guess just what everyone is capable of it's just yeah the fight scene itself was so fast-paced but there was a lot of extra words to put in there about the powers and whatnot so even though i presume that fight scene only took like two minutes tops in, in like in real world time yeah i sort of i agree with you a bit there with the the fight scene the constant repetition of which metal was doing what he was very clear on um you know, the steel pushing and the iron pulling in the start of it. And then it, it kept referencing those metals every time he was pushing, you know, he, he, he burnt his steel, he burnt his pewter, he burnt his iron. And it's, I think it, it sort of got to a point where at first that was really useful and then it did just slow it down and you really had to just stop and think, oh, yep, of course he's pushing or is this unusual or, or something along those lines. So I think up until that point, I think everything was really really smooth, really easy to follow. You were introduced to exactly the right information at the right time that you needed it. But it was a little bit clunky. So I, I think I hope when we have future fight scenes and things, we've already got a pretty good understanding of how these are working and that it's not spelled out for us every time he uses the power. I think that's mm. what I would like to see. Yeah. I don't know. Some, I, some people criticize his writing as being kind of simplistic and straightforward. Whereas, you know, it's not like Patrick Rothfuss, who, when you're reading Name of the Wind, it's like an artsy prose style where it's very flowery descriptions and all that. His descriptions tend to be really straightforward and stuff. And so I don't know, maybe I just kind of prefer that, but I've always liked that about it. But I know that other people have complaints uh, in that area. Well, I think it's like there's nothing wrong with that particular style of writing because it means like then 
if you engage people with what's going on in your story, it doesn't matter if you're too flowery or artsy or whatever in the writing style. It's like the important thing is the story you're telling and um, what that's and what's going on in that story. Like, so if the last thing you want is a story that's really, really good and then your writing style is just really fancy and like over the top and to the point where it, like people just like, I don't understand what's going on because of the language style. Um, mm, and it's, sure. I, I feel I feel the same way with the Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, a lot of people will say the writing style on that is very simplistic, and I'm just like, while that's true, like the characters in the story are so engaging that it doesn't matter if it's basic or not. Like the important thing is the story, and like yeah, the story is deeply complex it. in the Song of Ice and Fire for sure. Yeah, but with a million characters feel, that you're keeping track of. I feel like so far he's been really good at engaging the reader to kind of fill in the gaps. Like we're like we're talking about he, he's not super descriptive but that allows me to think well what does this object look like like i'm even wondering like what are these coins that he's throwing look like do they look like regular coins what are they and so i'm kind of filling in as the reader and using my own imagination to engage with the work to kind of figure out what i think these things look like i'd be interested mm. to like for us all to draw a picture of what we think kelsier looks like with the cloak on or something like that or, or just give a description of what we think that looks like, just to yeah. see kind of how we all feel when we're reading or thinking one when we're reading the book. And I was actually debating uh, in the last chapter when we touched on the Steel Inquisitor, I was like, maybe I should get like some of the fan art that's out there of Steel Inquisitors to give you an idea of what people have this pictured as. But I kind of think that it's almost better to let you do your own picturing there. Although it's funny you mentioned the coins because they did a, a Kickstarter a couple of years ago to make Mistborn coins, and I totally have copies of the coins. Oh, nice. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think that was probably like the most provocative image to me in that second chapter is him throwing coins and letting them fall down so that he can use them to kind of like force push himself off of them. That was kind of a, that was a really <laughs> like unique and interesting way to kind of propel himself through the air. Uh, and it, it, it really is a good representation of the way the physics of the magic works because he, he tells you, it's like, you know, you push that down and then when it hits the ground, it the ground's too heavy for you to push. So it pushes you the other way and it shows you kind of how like really moored in physics the, the magic he's Sanderson is trying to build is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminded me a lot of Patrick Rothfuss, the name of the wind, how some of the magics and sciences work in that book as well. Mm-hmm. I did love the whole, you know, don't, what was it? Don't pull on anything um, that's lighter than you or else it's just going to come flying at you and don't push anything that's mm-hmm. heavy, heavier than you because you're just going to go flying towards it or ha- however it worked out. I just thought, that's a, th- these are rules that you did not bring up earlier. However, makes perfect sense. Like Right. Just, and then just the like, funniest part about a that vague is he, description. Yeah, and, and um, the funniest part about that is he breaks those rules during the fight. Yeah. <laughs> like it sometimes it'll help you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sometimes you want to go flying away from uh, people. And I guess also, in reference to what we talked about last week, clearly the steel pushing and iron pulling are very flashy, uh, exuberant sort of powers, and clearly Kelsier is really good at it. So he's totally the master of the flashy power. Well, it fits uh, for a total drama queen that he is. Yeah, and even his exactly. own men were saying this, like, oh, he loves the dramatic entrances. <laughs> they did. They totally mentioned that. So, yes, apparently he's been a drama uh, uh, person for as long as they've known him. And there's one... Before we kind of move into the first uh, chapter, there's one more note from the annotations that I want to talk about since we, we've been talking about how he waited to put the fight scene into this chapter when we already understood stuff pretty well. The one other thing that he says about this fight scene is that it's his least favorite fight scene in the book because 
he felt that it was really unfair. He's like, as soon as Kelsier gets a hold of that ingot, the other guys were smoked. They had no chance. And so maybe that gives you an idea of what to expect for future fight scenes if he's like, oh, this fight wasn't fair. I didn't like it. Interesting, because he spent like at least half of that fight getting the crap kicked out of him. By the That's what I sp- thought in, re- in regard to that. I was just like, like he's getting beat on. Weird. <laughs> so let's start to get into uh, chapter four. was our first chapter here. The epigraph here is saying that they're starting up into the Terrace Highlands. It's a cold place. And we're probably going to have to hire some terrorist packmen to carry our gear. So I think it uh, that at least, I think, lends itself to what we were talking about last time, that Jamie's like, it sounds like a journal, basically. Yeah, I had the same thought. So we know that whoever's writing this, not like we don't we don't have any idea of when this whole epigraph is taking, whether it's before this, um, the story we're reading or afterward, e- afterwards either. Um, but it just mentions the fact mm-hmm. that he is going to on a quest, so whoever this is has some goal in mind. So it's like, all right, you just keep fi- drip-feeding us these tiny little details to get our attention and then not giving us anything else. Yeah. And I mean, you guys were talking about thinking maybe it was Lord Ruler or maybe it was tricking you into thinking the Lord Ruler, but we hadn't talked about the possibility before that it might be somebody in the future. I mean, for all we know, it could be like Vin, although I think it's a guy mentioned, I think the guy says that he is a man, so probably not her. Yeah, but yeah, like, um, it, it could be something that happens afterwards, like, whether it's a character we've met already or not, like, this is just someone else after the fact who's been told something during this book that they need to go, and so they're making like a journal or something of what they have to do after all this is over somehow or mm. something. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And then we get into the beginning of chapter four and Vin is just hanging out with her crew and they're all acting like nothing ever happened, that they weren't just going to let Cameron kill her without saying a word. And yeah, she's like, she comments a bit on Ulef or Ulef like being like, you, you betrayed me and now you're just sitting there like, like nothing happened. But then she's like, mm. oh, that's, just, that's, that's just how it is here. Like she, she, she also lets it go fairly easily. Yeah, I guess she's used to this life at this point, so she's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there was a comment that he was a little bit uncomfortable for some time, but it passed pretty quickly. You know, he yeah, obviously, yeah. on some level, felt a little bit bad, but not bad enough to actually bring it up Apolog- or, or make amends to any. Yeah. And so they're talking about Kelsier, and apparently he was a big deal in town several years ago. And he hasn't done any jobs in a long time, but this is the first his first job since he escaped the pits, and they're all theorizing on what it could be. Which is interesting that he's known as the guy who escaped the pits, but he was apparently a legend even before that. And from what we read, from what we read later on, before he was even a misborn at all, he was still mm-hmm. a legend then. So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. That just, that just struck me a bit. It's like oh, he hasn't done any jobs since then, since getting his powers and escaping the pits. But he was, all, but he's already so well known to everyone in the in the crime scene in in Lutherdale. I thought that that was like, oh, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I mean, we didn't know before now that he hadn't been like born with his powers, basically. Yeah. So um, that's it's all kind of new to us at this point. But yeah, he's he was apparently a big deal in the thieving world before any of that ever happened. I mean, he's obviously had to do something to end up in the pits. Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone is going to end up in the pits for, you know, like yeah. it, it's a scar, they'll be beaten or something. But he's obviously done something to land himself there. So, and the fact that he survived just adds to his, his legendary status. His mystique, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess just before this, I assumed his legendary status was because he escaped the pits. And like as it turns out, that's not the case at all. It adds to it, like you say, but that wasn't where it started for him. 
Yeah, I mean, it says, uh, Ulef says he was the best crew leader in Luthadel, a legend even with the Mistings, and he robbed some of the wealthiest great houses in the city. So he was yep. just really good at stealing shit. Well, and I think they say, don't they, that he was, the Lord Ruler is the reason he was caught. He was caught, basically, the Lord Ruler put a plan into action to catch him, to get out, to get rid of him. And that's how he, that's, you know, part of him going to the pit was, he went there, I guess, with his wife, and she she died there, so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it says the Lord Ruler himself caught Kelsier, sent him and his wife to the pits, but he escaped. He's the only one who ever. Yeah. And it says that somebody betrayed him to get him sent there. Yep. So uh, that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Probably not one of the people he's working on the current job with, one would think. Yeah, that that, that would be super awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love the discussion of, like, how he got the scars, and he's like, somebody's like, oh, he got them on the rocks trying to escape, and Ulef's like, I heard that there was a monster, and he reached inside his mouth and strangled it from the inside. <laughs> and they were just like, how do you strangle something from the inside, you idiot? <laughs> he's like, I don't know, man, that's just that's just what I heard. <laughs> it's just the kind of stories that pop up around this sort of thing. Yeah, it's got a very like it's got a very Jack Sparrow feel to it. It's like he tied his chest hair into ropes and put it around. <laughs> Ripping a couple of sea turtles. <laughs> I, I could totally see Kelsier as the Jack Sparrow of this story. That totally fits. Yep, that makes sense. Johnny Depp can play yeah. him in the movie. Oh, exactly. Just changed my mental picture of Kelsier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a very different picture of than what I had also actually now that you mention it I think Kelsier's mentioned it was like being blonde or something and I always kind of pictured him as like this kind of blonde haired blue eyed guy almost clean cut but kind of charming and swarthy or something but it's uh Johnny Depp's a very different picture from that <laughs> so so what you're saying is Jack Sparrow is played by Chris Evans yeah yeah I guess or, actually uh, <laughs> Jack Sparrow is Jamie Lannister Ooh, that's mm. a good one Actually, Brandon is in the process of writing the screenplay for a Mistborn movie. Apparently, it's been optioned for a long time, but they uh, it never goes anywhere, and he they they never get a script that people seem to like. So he's like, okay, fine, I'll take some time out from writing all these books, and I'll I'll write the script too. Oh, that means we have to finish this book before a movie ever comes out. Yeah, I doubt it'll happen anytime soon, but, you know, it's... Uh, I think it, we'll be okay. <laughs> it should be interesting at any rate, and one of the interesting things about this guy is, like, he churns out so many books that he actually... And he's so open about, like, the status of everything that he actually has on his website in the corner a progress bar that shows, like, here's the projects that I'm currently working on, here's the percentage completion on each of these projects. Wow. So, okay. like, he was in the middle of this last year. Of, he was writing the fourth Stormlight book. And so you would see, you know, every couple weeks or something, the bar would update and be like, hey, I'm 5 or 10% closer to being complete on the Stormlight book. And right now, among the projects on there is the Mistborn screenplay at, like, 10% or something, which is just hilarious. Uh, he's just doing all these different things. But anyway. Yeah, we got time. So, let's see. The... Even even the thieves who go out at night, they're scared of the mist wraiths. They're like, you know, I haven't been out. We've been out in the mist, but not outside the city. That's where the, the bad stuff happens, and there's mist wraiths and things. They'll grab a man and take his face, sure as the Lord Ruler. So that seems consistent with at least what the peasants seem to think about the mist wraiths, that they would be impersonating people. This, this guy says they'll take your face, which reminds me of Ko from Avatar, actually. <laughs> okay, what else do we got? Mistborn... Everyone is like, ooh, what Mistborn. And I like whenever Vin is thinking about the things that her brother Reen told her, 
where like we get to the point she's like never trust a man who tells you good news it's the oldest easiest way to con someone it's like she's paranoid her brother must have been like three times as paranoid yeah it's really rubbed off on her because like she spends the entire meeting with everyone else just just like all right so these guys are gonna fuck me over i need to be ready for that um but i need to take what i can get from them it's like like she spends the entire thing she's just been conditioned to think all right this is all gonna go horribly horribly wrong i need to be ready to bail when it does and none of these guys are gonna you know be good to me yeah and even when clubs leaves and and kelsey's like oh we're not gonna we're not gonna do anything you know i invited him here She's like, oh, she automatically was like, oh, I don't believe that. He's got somebody following her right now. Yep. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting difference that we're seeing because she's so paranoid. And then this new crew that she's getting involved with, with Kelsier, seems, on the surface at least, to be nothing like what she's used to. So you got to wonder, I mean, these guys are also in the ska underground. So you got to wonder at this point, you know, are they really like the way they seem? Or does Kelsey, is Kelsier really the kind of guy who did have a guy out there following clubs? I don't know that he seems like he plans that well in the short term, but maybe that's just me. Well, I mean, the plans we've seen him do, seen like at Tresting's plantation, and then later in the in the household here, they don't seem to work without a hitch. But they don't seem to really have the massive problems we would expect. So, yeah, that's true. But they're both both maybe those just examples. Way through. Yeah, they're also in both those two examples. They're very spur of the moment. He hasn't planned any of these things out. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna go kill that trusting guy because of what he's doing to these girls. And then he's like, hey, Doxon, what house uh, would be a good one for me to uh, go after tonight? So yeah, he 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 doesn't seem like a guy who plans that far ahead, except for the fact that he is the mastermind apparently behind this plan to overthrow the entire empire, which kind of puts a different perspective on that, I guess. He does talk about having a, like a smaller crew being you know, less noticeable, having more chance of success too. So, mm-hmm. you know, for him, the less people that know, I guess, all the details sometimes can help. But I mean, if even he doesn't necessarily plan out how it's going to go because he doesn't know what's coming, you know, he doesn't know that he's going to be ambushed by things or, or yeah. you know. So that's probably on his side as well because he can then just act spur of the moment and it doesn't impact anyone else that is around him he's just he's just working on his own so like he'll work in this crew but i think they're going to be quite polished and know exactly what is expected of them when the time comes but at the moment he doesn't need to operate that way they they definitely seem very professional with what they do kind of like you said uh they seem like they are you know they know what they're doing these guys that he's recruiting for his crew which makes sense that's why he's recruiting them and that takes us right into the first two that we meet, which are Ham and Breeze. And what did you guys think of these two? It can't be coincidence that the dude named Breeze is the one with sort of the lighthearted, very flighty personality. He's like, oh, hey, get me a drink. And like then, as, a, <laughs> as a, he, he just will not stop bringing that up. It's like, hey, maybe if you got me that drink. But, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that name seemed a bit on the nose for me. Yeah, I can see that. He's a... Uh... He's an interesting guy in that, uh, I mean, and I think Cam even, like, calls him out on, like, how he likes to make other people do stuff for him. So you almost get the impression that he's, like, lazy. Even when Vin makes his drink and then decides not to bring it to him, he never yeah, gets he up to get the drink. Well, that, like, that was the that's the final straw on how Kelsey convinces him to join the crew. He's like, hey, I brought you a drink. And he's I, like, all right, I'm in. It's just, uh yeah, he seemed like he was trying really hard to be the easygoing one, but he's also just kind of lazy and a little bit of a dick about it, like while still having a smile on his face. Like he will just use his, it's like he he will be a bit of a dick to people, 
but use his like um his powers to like suppress the negative emotions, bring out the positive emotions, so no one notices. And I thought mm. that's that's kind of shit. <laughs> well, and clearly he is much more subtle at these sort of manipulations than well, definitely than Vin, but even than Kelsier, who Vin describes. You know, Kelsier came in and just locked down everybody's emotions with his power when he kind of invaded her lair but this guy does it so subtly that she doesn't even notice it happening even though she's she knows now to be on the lookout for people who can do this and then ham makes i feel like an interesting point here where he's like you know if she did something while she under your control would you be responsible or would she and breeze tries breeze like no 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 that's you don't make people do stuff with this power you just influence them a little bit so do you guys think that holds weight? Yeah, I think um, I, I think Hammond's got the got the right idea here, and I think Breeze is just like trying to pass it off because he doesn't he he doesn't want to accept fault for anything. Yeah, he definitely seems like that kind of guy. Yeah, I actually thought it was good that they brought up you know like the morality of it as well because mm. playing with people's emotions, making people do things, not that it's necessarily mind control. You've just influenced them, maybe given them a nudge in that direction that you want them to do something, but would they have done it otherwise? And I think it's really good when, when clubs is like, I've had to make sure he's not here. I needed to make sure I was thinking clearly about this before I gave an answer. Cause I don't even know if he's influencing me or not. So I actually, I, I really enjoy that. They sort of address that. Yeah. Not that they've they, resolved it, but it's, yeah. Right. <laughs> Gets you thinking they, about it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they even, the way when they're talking to clubs about it, that's a good example because Kelsier says, well, no, with your power, he couldn't influence you if you didn't want him to. And club says, well, with that kind of person, it's, it's not even just about Alamancy. It's this whole thing of like influence where they're trying to trick you into doing what they want. It's kind of like breeze is a con man. He just has an additional weapon in his con man arsenal where he can influence people with a smile or with, you know, convincing argument, but also he has some alamancy that he can throw in there to help it. Then we have Hammond or Ham who likes asking philosophical questions is kind of what we get uh, about him. <laughs> and he's the leader of a group of thugs. He he's provides security for the job and stuff. He's a deep thinking muscle, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. got to have one, right? Uh, I feel I'm, like I'm these guys, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like, I feel like – I don't think these guys are cookie cutter, but I feel like because they each have a specialization that it's like I've seen this archetype before on some of these guys. Breeze especially. He's like a – if you play Final Fantasy twelve, he's like a Balthier. If you play Red Dead Redemption 2, he's like he's like the British guy that hangs out with their, their group, the super fancy guy. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just like – yeah. yeah, exactly. He's just like – he's a guy that exists in many different genres. A scoundrel. He's like a gentleman scoundrel almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's actually in the in the annotations for this chapter is he Brandon Sanderson says I was a little worried about Ham when I first started because the warrior philosopher is probably a character that you've seen before, but I felt like he would be a good foil for Breeze because Breeze tends to be arrogant, long-winded, and manipulative. I came up with someone humble, long-winded, and kindly to play off of that. There's, there's nothing wrong with using an archetypes as long as you do it well and you make them interesting. Like that's one of those things where it's like it's not what a a character is, but how they're about it. And mm. so if they if they're if they're interesting enough, which I think Hammond is, because like he is just like a dude. Can you not be you know like stop trying to palm what you're doing to people off as their fault sort of thing? 
it tells you a lot about the character to start with. It's like, right, this guy is one of the more decent people in this crew. You've got, you know, Yedin who looks down his nose at the at the thieves. You got Clubs who is just like the grumpiest man on the planet. Kelsey is a drama queen. <laughs> like like Ham seems like one of the no, no, I'm actually a decent guy. Yeah, and that brings us into Yedin and Clubs. Did y'all have any in, any thoughts on them? Yedin is definitely not liking the position that he's gotten himself into. And Vin even, she she's looking at him and like, what is this guy doing here? And what is this relationship about between Yedin and Kelsey here? Because it doesn't seem like exactly what they're saying it is. And I personally love Clubs. You're right, he's just like this grumpy old dude, but he's he's fun. As, as soon as Clubs walked in, I've just gone, oh look, Mad-Eye Moody from Harry Potter is in this book. <laughs> that is totally how they describe him, it's true. Like yeah, he, like I think they said he walks with a limp. His face is really disfigured. He's just like grumpy and shouty all the time. I'm like, yep, mm-hmm. yep. I can see this dude being played by Brendan Gleeson. Well, and then we get the revelation of the plan, which we talked about a little bit up front. That it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna overthrow the final empire. Uh, we're gonna get an get yet an army for which he's paid us like thirty grand. And Ham's like, wait a second, thirty grand? That won't pay for anything. That'll barely cover expenses. And, so yeah. Well, Yedin makes the point. It's like, well, because we're not thieves, that's all the money we were able to get. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he really comes off as like he's he's the freedom fighter who hates people who don't agree with his morals and ideals, which I uh, I get. But yeah, like you're in this position, you had to come to them. It's like you need to just bite down on that for a while. Don't just insult the people you're trying to hire. It's true. He does. He's trying to hire this group, and at the same time, like first meeting, he's like, I hate all of you. Yeah. It's like, dude, pick your battles. Yeah, I think that's why I had trouble kind of formulating an opinion about him or really caring about him is he's come to them for help. Um, obviously, he doesn't want to be in this position, but that's the position he's in. But he's just not being very um, delicate about it at all. Yeah, it's easy to say, like, look, you guys do things I don't agree with. We all know this. However, I need your help. It's like, you know, you like don't. Yeah, don't just come in and start looking down your nose at these people like you came to them. Yeah. And like, honestly, it just doesn't seem like he's a he would be a very effective leader based on that kind of attitude. But I mean, what do I know? I'm I'm not the leader of a rebellion. So, (laughs) well, is he the leader? Is he just like one part of it? Uh, Yeah, I think he is the leader. Okay. Yeah, I think they mentioned that he's kind of the leader, at least in this area, I guess. I guess, too, like, he, he really stands for the, the hardworking Scar, the one who are in the plantations and the the um, like the factories and things. He He's looking out for their rights, so they've probably rallied behind him as their leader. But for him to be effective, they need to have masses of, of people, armies and things, and that's – He's, they've obviously already tried things because now they're they're looking at these other options. If they could do it without them, they would do it without them. But the only way yeah. they're going to be effective is to to operate differently. So yeah, I mean at least yeah. I guess he's recognizing that a little bit. Yeah, I mean he his his character almost seems like an elected official versus someone who was put in a leadership position because of you know they proved themselves or whatever. Yeah, I can say that. Yeah, it's a good way. I've always felt that it was probably it's probably a matter of we know even they discuss it in this chapter how the, most of the ska are so beaten down over you know all this time that they've been slaves that they don't have the attitude to rise up and fight and so I think to 
become a rebel at all in this society takes a certain level of aggressiveness and attitude and probably to become the leader of a group of rebels just means that you have to have this attitude that's very aggressive and very different from the mindset of all the rest of the people uh, to have managed to get there. Makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. But who knows? Maybe he just yells the loudest and like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, you be in charge. <laughs> and there's an old man who is with him who's like, ah, you gotta pick your battles. Okay, so let's see. We get into this. They're talking about the plan and how actually there's a little more money in it for them than just the 30000 they're going to go after the Lord Ruler's Adium supply, which at this point we have little idea what that is, except that later on, uh, Kelsier says that he used up most of the Adium that he had to on the attack in Trusting's plantation. So whatever it was he did, it was huge, and that's what this special medal is. Mm. That's probably why he didn't get his ass kicked when he did that, but he got beat up getting more adium during this second fight yeah although i feel like you also have to imagine that the people guarding like a high lord's house who are specifically trained to fight alamancers are probably going to be better at it than like the guys on some random plantation true but i think the sheer number of the guys on the plantation was larger than whatever this guy had at his keep i'm pretty sure probably true also, like, we don't know what he did. Like, it mentions that the house got burned to the ground. What if mm-hmm. Atium turns you into a human inferno and you just walk around set lighting everything? Like, yeah. we don't know. Yeah, like, a, you turn into, like, an explosion. Yeah. You just, so, yeah. You know, like, nuclear, like Godzilla or something. Human it's, torch. <laughs> it's got to be good, whatever it is, since apparently yeah. the Lord Ruler, like, portions it out in tiny amounts to the nobility and charges them outrageous amounts of money for it. And that in itself gives you the idea. It's like the Lord Ruler. I think I, don't, I think they mentioned like he is he well because he gave everyone the powers initially, so he must be a misborn himself. Uh, and so like Atium, then he must control that really jealously. I, I assume like it must have something to do with like being the core of his power, not not just financially, but also his his power power uh, is the, mm. the the impression that gives. Like yeah, the Atium must be. However, he is able to live so long and then do the amazing things that he apparently has done as, as soon as they mentioned like how how much he safeguards it i'm like all right that's got to have something to do with his longevity yeah yeah, yeah not nice. only that but that. uh Kelsier became a mistborn at an atium mine so there's probably some kind of correlation there i feel like yeah mm. interesting thoughts and it's, it's just a little tease that they throw in here. Apparently it's worth lots of money, and that's what's making it worthwhile for these thieves to go after. But he's teasing us in several things in this chapter. Even when they're talking about the army and taking over the city, uh, Ham says, well, what about the Coloss? And Kelsier says, if he marches those creatures on his own capital, the destruction it would cause would be even more dangerous than the financial instability. And that's just kind of a little throwaway. So there's... Uh, yeah, that's all we get about whatever yeah. those things are. It's kind of like when they first introduced the Inquisitors. It was like these inhuman creatures. And now we know that they're kind of roughly human-looking, if you don't count the giant spikes. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, we have super dangerous creatures that the Lord Ruler apparently controls somehow. Well, and of course, there were the rumors that the creatures guard the Atium mines, so I guess it's like, all right, I need to pull them back from the mines and bring them in, like assuming they're the same thing. Yeah, uh, and then Clubs brings up the Inquisitors. He's like, "Hey, those this guys." Is the first time Clubs spoke as well. I feel like he's just sat there the entire time, not saying a thing until now. 
I think you may be right, yeah. Because it says he says this, so what about the Steel Ministry, sitting aside almost forgotten at the side of the room. So he's uh, he's interested in the plan enough that he's asking questions about it. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's just like not not even when they said, yeah, we're going to bring down the ministry, like he, there was no reaction from him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's like that, that could mean any number of things. Yeah. And Kel's like, yeah, well, we're, we're going to figure that out. Kind of brushes that off a little bit right now, but you hope that he has some sort of plan, I guess. And then it turns out that Kelsier has a secret that's going to help this work uh, that nobody else knows, that the adium comes from the pits. And we touched on that a little bit. But that's why they send Ska there to die, because that is a mine, and they can't let the secret get out about what is mined there. And I, I, who, I was Joe who called that like all the way back in like the prologue? Like, that sounds like a mine. Yeah, I think because I think the way it was like described a little bit as like a place where they send workers and it's a pit. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. What kind of place would be a pit where people work? It's got to be a mine. <laughs> totally makes sense, and it totally turns out to be right. Um, then Kelsier talks about how he kind of wants to see the Ska get something better after he's been out of the pits, and he has all these ideas, and he kind of dumps on the rebellion a little bit, saying, you know, they've never been successful because they basically don't know what they're doing. But we can be successful. And once again, Yedin is in the corner, kind of like, ugh. You don't he understand. He takes it really personally. He does. It's so true. <laughs> it's like I hired you. I, I'm putting my faith in you, but man, I don't trust you at all. But it's just like, man, at the start of the conversation, you were you were just telling us how crap we were. But the second we turn that around, you're just like, oh, how dare you? Yeah, I mean, I I really feel like for Yedin, the only reason he has hitched his star to Kelsier is probably because he, I think maybe Kelsier shared a little bit more of his personal vendetta against the Lord Ruler with Yedin beforehand. That's the only reason I think Yedin really trusts this group to do something is because Kelsier is so determined and he thinks he must have some kind of large respect for Kelsier and his abilities. So, yeah. So Ham is in for the job, even though he thinks it sounds crazy. And Kelsier talks Breeze into it by handing over some uh, some the wine. He's like, here you go. You know you want in. It's a challenge. Then we get into this, and Clubs is like, wait, this is impossible. What are you really planning? And he's like, no, I'm serious. We're going to do this thing. And Clubs stomps out. He's like, no, there's no way. We're all going to die if we go through this plan. And that's when we, we touched on this earlier, too. Uh, everyone's like, oh, okay, well, he's gone. And then Yen's like, what? You're just going to let him go? And I love Breeze laughing at me. Like, aren't you supposed to be the moral one in this group? You're the one looking down on us, but you're like, we we gotta kill this guy. <laughs> he never said kill. He might have just meant capture. Uh, and then and then Vin is like, no, that's not true. Uh, when Kelsier says, and I, and I love Kelsier's whole little speech where he's like, look, I was outlining a dangerous plan. I'm not gonna have him assassinated because I he decided it was too dangerous. If you do things like that, pretty soon nobody comes to listen to your plans anymore. And I'm like, he has a really good point there. Yeah. It's like, yep. oh, you don't want to work for, for him because if he calls you and then you don't like it, he's gonna kill you. Yeah, you'll run out of run out of team members pretty quickly if you try and pull that. But of course, I guess that's more like Vin's level of thieving crew, like the lives that they lead, is where that would happen. Because Vin totally is on the other side. Is like, no, he must have assassins following clubs right, right. now, making sure he doesn't go to the ministry. Yeah, right. I mean, look how quickly Kamon's Kamon's men turned on him in the last uh-huh. chapter. You know, it's just like they, that's not the world she comes from. And then Kelsey was like, okay, Yedin, they accepted the plans on. Are you in? And he says, well, are you going to give the money back if I say no? And everyone just laughs. <laughs> that, that, that was a great line. I love that. Uh, he He's in it now. And 
the thing is, like, even he is, like, as Kelsier is presenting plans and stuff, Yedin's like, yeah, okay, this whole thing is crazy. Now that It sounds crazy now that we're talking about it. And Kelsier really seems to be the driving force behind this plan. Uh, and then he, he says, are you in, Vin? And Vin's like, well, why is he even asking me? He knows that I have to learn what he knows, that I, he's got me. Which leads to another one of the best lines in here, where they reveal that Vin is a Mistborn. Everyone's like, oh, oh man, that's great. Another Mistborn on the team. And Yen's like, what are you talking about? Scott can't be Mistborn. I'm not even sure if they exist. I've certainly never met one. And then Breeze <laughs> is just like, you should try not to talk so much, friend. You'll sound far less stupid that way. <laughs> it's just an amazing moment. Yep. But I guess like that's that that does raise the question. It was like, okay, so Yedin came to Doxon and Kelsier asking for help without even knowing what Kelsier is. That mm-hmm. alone says a lot about the faith that he places in him. Right. And like we were talking about earlier, we know that he was famous for robbing the unrobable back in his day. So it kind of makes sense, I guess. And then we find out the final part of the plan where Kelsier has an 11th medal, the mystical 11th medal, with which he plans to try and kill the Lord Ruler. And it leads to a really interesting statement from Ham where he says, the Lord Ruler is the sliver of infinity. He's a piece of God himself. You can't kill him. This part of the plan included, I guess. Now, we've pretty much hit this whole chapter. What do you think of the plan as a whole and what is going to work or and or go horribly wrong? I feel like after all the hype over the Steel Inquisitors, something's going to go wrong involving them because we're like they're really going to show what those guys can do and yeah, what their powers are and what they can do to a man and show why they're so feared. I think that's definitely going to come into play. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to accomplish any of their goals, honestly. I, you know, I think I think it seems like a pretty tall order to completely get rid of the guard of the city and to get around the Steel Inquisitors and to steal the Adium and to kill the Lord Ruler. I think, I, I think, especially since, I, you know, and this is, I guess, us knowing that there's more books. This is the first book of a trilogy, so it almost makes me think, well, it's just all going to go horribly, horribly wrong, and the, the whole the whole first book may end with their failure. You know, I don't know. Yeah, could be like an Empire Strikes Back thing. Yeah. Well, certainly it could it could end with greatest success, but then everything goes to hell. It's like, yay, we overthrew the Lord Ruler. Now the entire country is riding. Shit. Hmm. Yeah, haven't haven't if if you manage to kill a piece of God himself, as Ham calls it, it it's almost anticlimactic in a way to have you know the next book be about like civil unrest, but he could, yeah, totally, he could totally pull that on you. He's like, Nope, the next book is going to be a political thriller about forming a new society and a new government. could totally see that because that's another thing about Sanderson that I, I'm, I'm going to reveal to you now is he likes to play against tropes uh, when he can. Clearly he plays into some of them too, but what yeah. do you think, Jamie? We haven't heard much from you. No, that's okay. There's, there's a lot that has to go to plan that they haven't really planned out yet. They've kind of just floated the idea. You know, I think in previous chapters when we, we've sort of thought, thought about how things are going to pan out, they happen to happen quite quickly. So I think they're going to make their first move pretty soon. But th- there's a lot that has to go exactly to plan for this to work. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of huge tasks to accomplish in here. So, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, Vin doesn't know enough yet. Even Kelsier admits that he's still learning his craft He's got a lot of experienced people with him, but yeah, I 
I'm not quite sure how they're going to pull this off. <laughs> okay. And we end the chapter with Vin saying, I've bound myself to a madman, Vin thought, with resignation. But it didn't matter as long as he taught her allomancy. So we see what, what she's going for here. She doesn't think any of it could possibly work. She's lived in a world, too, where people double-cross everyone and they might yeah. go into it starting with a plan for a mission, but things change. The leader changes his mind. There's an ulterior motive. You know, she's just like, look, I'm going to look after me and get what I need. That's, that's her goal. You know, if she can do that, then she's won. So be interesting to see her growth. Or, or yeah. not. Maybe she's right. Maybe everything will come crumbling down. She's definitely still looking out for number one at this point. Uh, let's see. We get the next epigraph has another juicy little tidbit that it drops where uh, he's talking about, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The terrorist philosophers say this, the deepness, all capitalized, must be destroyed. And apparently I'm the only one who can do it. It ravages the world even now. If I don't stop it soon, nothing will be left of this land but bones and dust. So whoever this person is, uh, we know kind of what they're trying to accomplish a little bit, I guess. Any theories? It's, it's, it, we really have almost no information on this, so that's the best time for theories, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Nothing left of the land but bones and dust. Does the deepness have anything to do with the volcanoes, the ash mounts, and them just like going off all at once and just covering the land? Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I got nothing here. Okay. We spent a lot of time on the first chapter, and that was intentional on my part because there's no point in de- delving too deeply into like half the second chapter is spent on the actual fight and we we're not we don't need to detail by detail blow by blow the fight or anything but we will touch on the beginning where uh Kelsier finds another secret drawer with good wine in it finally and he says it's the trick is to never stop looking like all the booze in this place they are <laughs> apparently they don't care but they paid they paid the guy like a hundred boxings or something to use their place maybe that includes the booze you know it's an open bar okay <laughs> but uh he says there's always another secret and that's that's like the the tagline of the series of the Mistborn series basically there's always another secret so keep that in mind okay uh, and then club shows back up and we talked about how you know he didn't he he Felt like he was being influenced, even if power couldn't be used on him. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to get to that point. He's, uh, Kelsier says, you're a smoker, Clubs. Breeze couldn't have done much to you, and not if you didn't want him to. So maybe that is a hint about what the smoker means. And uh, Club says, I don't, it's, I don't like soothers. It's not just allomancy with them. You can't trust whether you're being manipulated. Copper or no copper. So Which, he just believes that, like, people who have that power as a whole get corrupted by the power and just become manipulative and and self and self-centered just as a result of having the power, I guess. Hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, he can soothe he can soothe the emotion and and make whatever he's saying more palatable. But at the end of the day, the words still come from him as a person. So mm-hmm. he is still the one doing the manipulating. He's just, you know, making it go a little bit smoother. Yeah, and I mean, the more convincing you are with what you're saying, the more the Alamancia I'm sure would help. Cause if you're really good at convincing people already, then you're just adding to that with what you can do with your soothing power. So it may just be the kind of person that develops when you're manipulating people professionally. And I, I like how clubs even stops in the conversation and be like, Ooh, good wine. So whatever this one <laughs> bottle found, they found hidden away. It was a good bottle. It, yeah. Clubs just seems like a lot calmer now that breezes out of the room. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, 
I guess that just comes down to before he just didn't say a word because he just really, really doesn't trust a soother at all. Um, but now that he's come back in, he's a bit more open about his intentions, what he thinks, and everything else like that. So he, he just, I feel like he, like we're going to find out something about him. He's been burned really badly in the past, whether by Breeze or by another soother at one point. But he, something, something specific has happened to him, and it's really just influenced his entire opinion of people with that power. Yeah. I don't mean, know. Possibly it was Breeze himself that that burned him, because I mean he's around Kelsia. Kels, they know that Kelsia's a misborn. So theoretically, he should be able to do the same thing to him, yet he's comfortable talking to him. Right. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a really a good, good point. point. He doesn't distrust Kelsier as much. But Kelsier also says at some point, I think, that he's worked with him before. So maybe that's part of it, that he trusts Kelsier a little more. I don't know. True. But Clubs also mentions that he's like, you know we're all going to die, right? And they're like, well, then why are you joining? And he says, well, the Lord's going to get me sooner or later. At least this way I'll be able to spit in his face as I go. Overthrowing the final empire. It's got style. <laughs> so I just clubs is he's really grumpy, but at the same time, you know, he's got this sort of attitude that I, I really lo- I love his character. Yeah. I, I I really like him as well. I look forward to seeing more of him doing his thing. Yeah. It's uh again, I keep making references to characters from other things, but he reminds me of Sid in Final Fantasy Seven. He's very like Oh, you guys are dumb for doing this, but uh, what the heck? I'll I'll do it too. Let's do it. <laughs> he is very Sid. I I mean, Sid's not you know that quite that crotchety, but he's getting there. I totally see that. And I honestly, I never made the connection to Moody before until like Dax said it earlier. But now that's what I picture yeah, is totally that I'm. And not yeah. gonna lie, I'm 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 hearing um, the voice of the guy from the movies when when Clubs talks. <laughs> <laughs> So he's got, like, a Scottish accent also. Very good. Okay, so then they, uh, Kelsey and Dachshund and Vin all go outside. Vin's just kind of tagging along at this point. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here, but i got to stick with these guys. And That's it. They're really just sort of taking it for granted. It's like, we're, we're going to walk out. She's going to follow. Yeah. And, I mean, they're right. But <laughs> she, she kind of doesn't know what else to do. Yeah. And Dachshund's nervous about Kelsey standing on the ledge. He's still not used to his buddy being a Mistborn, apparently. Did Doxon say anything during the meeting, or was it all Kelsier? Uh, Doxon pops in a couple times with like some comments here and there, kind of. He's just kind of backing up Kelsier. He's like he's like the hype man. Kelsier says something, and some people are doubtful. And he's like, no, no, it, it's good. Yeah, he's got like the stats. He's like the intel person. Like, no, 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 we can do this because of this. It's fine. Yep. He's he's the calm person who hangs out with the drama king. Yeah. <laughs> and we we find the we find out about the Mistborn cloak. That's just a bunch of strips sewn together up around the shoulders so that it's kind of like you go out into the mists and the, the flaps or whatever and kind of camouflages you a little bit. So yeah. um, I got to say, Joe, Joe, Joe mentioned earlier, he's like, what do you picture when you see this? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, what popped into my head was uh, Mr. Sinister's cloak from the X-Men comics. I don't know if you've seen a picture of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a now good, I'm having to pull that up. That's a good thought. I agree with that. That sounds a lot cooler than how I pictured it, especially when they compared it to streamers. I just pictured it as like a really weird glittering cloak with that looked like he was wearing paper. It's a bad okay. school project. <laughs> I made it myself. <laughs> I kind of, I don't know. I'd sort of kind of pictured like that flowing, like if you're watching Harry Potter with the Dementors, but like kind of more, uh, I guess, less solid. 
like that kind mm. of thing, the quite raggedy and yeah, not the Dementors themselves, but the cloak, something like that kind of image. I can see that. Yeah, just yeah. I, I like Dax's idea too of uh, Mr. Sinister. Now that I'm looking at him, I'm like, oh, that totally works. Yeah, it's it is. Yeah, it's pretty cool. For some reason, when I read it, uh, or in most of the times when I've read it, actually. Even though it's not supported by the actual text at all, I've always pictured it as like these long strips, but like tied in, like with knots tied in each strip at various spots so that it's like thin with like little balls where the knots are the whole way up for some reason. And there's no reason, there's nothing in the text that indicates that, but that's just the way I pictured it. Does it say in the text that it's made of like a cloth material or anything? Does it describe no. the material at all? What it says is it was made from a single piece of cloth. Rather, it was made up of hundreds of long ribbon-like strips that were sewn together at the shoulders and across the chest, but mostly they hung separate from one another. So there's hundreds of strips that mostly hang separate, but also sometimes yeah. overlap like streamers. Yeah, exactly. And so when he uses the word ribbon and streamers, I'm just like, yeah, this does not sound cool at all. <laughs> uh, it's colored and constructed to hide you in the mists, but also lets everybody around know that, hey, this is a Mistborn, leave them the fuck alone, or they will mess you up. Yep. Because most Mistborn are high nobility, they're very important people, so you don't want to mess with them. Also, they're super powerful. Uh, Kelsier asks, like, where should I get some Adium? And Doc starts talking about, well, you know, this house or this house got hit recently. He's like, no, no, who is the toughest? Who is the biggest, baddest people on the block right now? That's where I'm going. And so he finds out that is House Venture, and he goes to House Venture... And starts just killing people, even the people outside, like, with the metal chest plates and stuff. And he talks about how, like, Alamancers are rare enough that most of these house guards are going to still be wearing metal because it's it's worth the protection against other people and swords and stuff, even though it's not going to work well against somebody who can manipulate metal. Well, they also make a point, like, because most people only have one Alamantic ability and Mistborn themselves are incredibly rare, it's like... Nine times out of ten, someone you encounter is not going to be able to use your metal against you, so it's still worth having it. You're just very unlucky if you get the one time in ten that someone comes along, whether they're mist- misting or misborn, who can use it against you. So, yeah. We also get a brief quote from Gemmel, the person who taught him how to iron pull and steel push, who sounds just as grumpy as Clubs, except Kelsier also calls him the old lunatic. So, that sounds like a fun guy. Just imagine Yoder if he was a crack addict. <laughs> yeah. Or who's the uh, who's the crazy uh, wind mentor in Name of the Wind? What's his name? Oh, Eladin. Uh, yeah. Eladin, yeah. Eladin, yeah. Eladin's kind of like a friendly, easygoing, crazy person, though. He's also quite he young. Pushes, he, he pushes Kavoth off that building. I don't think he doesn't he's push him friendly. off. He push him. Kavoth he does not. Yes, he says that if Kavoth wants to learn from him, he can prove himself by jumping off the building. And Kvothe does that, because he's an idiot. Yeah. Not Eladin's fault. They make a point that Eladin is quite young, whereas Gemmel here is described as being an old lunatic. So Mm -hmm. you picture, like, the the crazy old hermits that live live out by themselves. Yeah, my mind immediately goes to, like, Obi-Wan or Yoda, except, obviously, they're a bit more lucid than whatever this guy is, just from this one description. Yeah, Obi-Wan on crack. That would be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and then we start to we, we get the first picture of how iron and steel kind of work in that when he turns it on, when he starts burning it, blue lines come out from like his chest to attach to all the pieces of metal that are out in the night. 
which sounds to me like psychedelic. He's he's seeing a bunch of lines leading to all bits of metal all around him. I don't know how you would keep track of that. That just seems like it'd be overwhelming. It really does. It's like all of a sudden I'm just in Tron. <laughs> and we already knew that pewter, based on what Ham was saying, kind of enhances your strength, but we also find out here it kind of enhances your durability when he starts just hitting the ground really hard, but he turns on his pewter to not break bones and stuff. Yeah, so and he makes a point. It's like when, when they hit him with the sticks and he's and he's burning mm-hmm. pewter, and it's like, oh, I'm going to feel that one tomorrow. But yeah, it keeps his bones intact. So yeah, he goes in, just starts killing people with the glass daggers that he uses, which kind of make total sense if you are uh, going to be fighting people who can manipulate metal. You have daggers that are not made of metal. Yeah, you'd imagine that there must be sort of a common trade for things like that, like yeah. anything that doesn't include metal just to be on the safe side. Probably hard to manufacture, but it's like, what's the plastic industry like in here? <laughs> they, they don't yeah. seem quite advanced enough for plastics, but who knows? Maybe you advance in that area more quickly <laughs> when this kind of <laughs> yeah. is your yeah. <laughs> yeah, necessity. Like it comes up in the sequel. It. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the glass reminded glass daggers just remind me of uh, Elder Scrolls of Skyrim and, and Oblivion again because you can you can craft glass weapons in that game. Are they good? That's true. Yeah, they're like one of the yeah they're like they? second to top tier of light weapons. Wow, that's pretty cool. I think I've always thought of glass daggers more as like like a natural glass, like an obsidian sort of thing, but that's just in my brain. That's sort of how I pictured them as well. Yeah, I think that is how, like a like a lava rock glass. Um, so Kelsier kills the normal guards. I like the note that, like, normal guards wearing metal show up, and then they realize he's, like, an Alamancer, so they, like, quickly cut off their metal armor, and he uses that opportunity to go ahead and, like, send a sword to kill them. Now that they have no armor to protect them. He's just really hardcore and not hesitating in any way about killing all of these guys. It also raises the point, it's like, he's only had these powers for a few years, but mm-hmm. he already seems like he's a, a pro at using them in combat. So, like, what the hell did he do in yeah. those three years that's necessitated him, like, just being this good? It's true. He's really good. I don't know, uh, and and uh, Jamie's pointed out a couple times that he's he's mentioned that he's still learning stuff, and I... it. It seems to me, at least at this point, that he's maybe not as practiced or subtle with some of the other powers. Like when he comes in to Vin's crew building and he just like uses his soothing power, not subtly at all, and just squishes down everyone's emotions. And maybe that was intentional. And we'll find out that he really is subtle at that. But it doesn't give the impression of subtlety there. Whereas with these powers, he seems really able really good at what he's doing so maybe it is just that he's been focused on combat for three years or however long possible yeah and i i almost wonder if that's gonna be his trait is like he is the combat planning strategizing specialist and then maybe vin as she grows in her powers will be kind of a practicer of the more subtle stuff let's see and then we experience the haze killers i'd have to point out i really liked their name because everything else relates to mist, and then these guys mm-hmm. come out with haze. Like the difference in term there, I think. I don't know. To me personally, haze seems like a, like a less sort of intense term than mist. So it just gives yeah. the impression that th- these guys, like you know, mistborn mistings, these are the guys trained to fight them. And to them, like mist is just a haze. It's not as impressive to them. <laughs> like, I like that. I don't, 
Uh, mm. that, that might be complete coincidence, but that was what popped into my head. And I just thought, oh, that's cool. These guys are just like, yeah, we're, we're, we're better than the mist. So we don't even need to call it that because that's what everyone else is afraid of. And we're not. That's, that's a pretty cool way to look at it. I like that. I, I think Haze Killers, I agree, it's a cool name. And I think Mist Killer would have just seemed like going into Mist too much. I feel like he had to pull out a, a thesaurus at some point and be like, I've, I've used Mist way too much in this book. What other he's, words can he's, I use? He's, type, he's typing in Microsoft Word and he's like, all right, right-click synonyms. What do we got? <laughs> okay, and then, yeah, we just get into the fight. He's trying to steal a whole safe. He doesn't even try to bust the safe open. He's like, I'll just take safe with me. It's fine. Haze killers show up, and we talked about how he kills them all with, like, a little ingot that he's, like, flipping back and forth, doing the total Magneto thing. Although, he also mentions, he's like, you know, if you're pulling, it's coming directly towards you. If you're pushing, it's going directly away from you. You can't whip it around different directions all you want. Which makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, it, it raises the whole, all right, there are limits to what you can do with this power. You can't go full Magneto. Right. Although, apparently, you can soar through the air by dropping coins on the ground, so it's still pretty cool. <laughs> I'm going to bankrupt myself to fly away. <laughs> Maybe he's using, you know, the equivalent of pennies or something. It's fine. Yeah, possibly. Well, I did I, I did think about that when he threw his coin bag at the guy, but then he got it at the end of the chapter. He, he, he totally gets it back. <laughs> yeah, he totally gets all his money back, except for the ones he dropped in the city. And then he just, uh, yeah, he kills them all, but he makes a run for it. When the noblemen who live in the in the place that are also Alamancers show up uh, to the fight, he's like, "Okay, well, I'm not getting into this." And he heads out, taking the safe with him, which I guess breaks open when it hits the ground outside, and he steals the adium and runs off towards Club's shop. Which, and I think, also interesting there, it's like, so he throughout this chapter he fights three groups of people first group are people who do not have any alimantic abilities at all and are just dressed up in metal makes <laughs> very short work of them mm-hmm. second then the second fight is with the haze killers who are people trained to fight like alimances and a lot more trouble but he does get through them and then the third group is other people who have the same abilities as him and he's just like all right fuck it i'm out that says a lot about all right there's the tier of the the haze killers are good but like mm-hmm. a skilled Alamancer can still take him down, but when you got Alamancers fighting each other, using the same um, materials to fight each other, it's like that could be a that's that's a lot riskier of a prospect, at least to Kelsia. Yeah. So I think that says a lot about fights to come. Yeah, and it's it's definitely, and you have to wonder how many other Alamancers he's he's fought while he's been out, you know, running around these three years. What has he been doing? He tells them that he's been up in, like, the faraway areas of the Empire, finding, like, the secret of the 11th medal and all this stuff. So, you know, maybe he doesn't even have a whole lot of experience fighting other Alamancers at this point. He also, seems to know when to run away. Yeah. You know, not not that it was just running. He's like, okay, now's my opportunity to get out. But mm-hmm. he knows he knows what his limits are, and he's not cocky enough to go, you know what, I can take you all. That's fine. You know, he's he is playing the long game, and, you know, it's time to get out. Yeah. He got what he came for. And, I mean, at some point, there's got to be a line, I guess, between, you know, running in and doing a smash and grab to get this medal and just killing everybody in the place. You start fighting the Alamancers and more guards are going to show up, and eventually it's like, oh, whoops, I killed everyone in the noble house. My bad. (laughs) It wouldn't be the first time. It would not. Um, I also like, just as a quick side note, that they have a moment where like he's starting, he's getting beat on some, and he's kind of almost loses consciousness, and then he kind of uses his tin 
to enhance his senses for a moment. So everything, the light is too bright and everything feels stronger to kind of clear his head. And that's, it's probably something that I would not have thought to use uh, or to use that power for something that's not what's on the label. It's not just enhancing his senses to hear and see stuff better. It's, it has side effects also, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's how he cues. I think we I talked was. in the, <laughs> I think we talked in the, the last episode with the other chapters about, you know, maybe one of the metals would help him, you know, sort of dull his senses, which is still possibly true, mm-hmm. but he seemed to really use that combination of the, the burning burning tin to enhance his senses and burning pewter for strength to get him through it. You know, it's like at least his bones didn't break, but, he, you know, he can deal with the pain. It's He's got that clarity to be able to think straight and, and keep going. You know, he seemed to really take quite a beating, but he still managed to get out. Perhaps that's one of the ways that he escaped the pits as well. You know, all, all of these these metals working together, helping you survive. Maybe it's the adium that, you know, has some extra special powers. Maybe it's the ninth metal that we haven't heard about yet mm-hmm. um, that help him. But it was really interesting to see how how he used those to cope as well. It wasn't just about giving him necessarily strength to do something. It was to survive. Yeah. And it's an interesting point that at this point she's right. It seems like there's one metal only that we – because he listed all eight regular ones – and we know there are two like higher or different metals, and we got to figure adium is probably one of them. I don't know that it specifically said that, but well, I think they said that adium is the tenth metal. The tenth. So you presume okay. Yeah. It's you presume then it has to be one of the two high metals that they briefly mention. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the last metal, the ninth metal, I guess, the second to last, is going to be? <sighs> don't know. I have to I go back over what the first eight were. We still don't really yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. We still don't really know what the tenth one does, so. It's true. I think it's a bit early to tell. Uh, and I remember the, the first eight are all like, you know, regular copper, bronze, steel, pewter. Pewter is a weird metal to me. I don't, I don't know why. It's just the word is weird to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, just a, a little bit like, well, all right, I'm not a blacksmith. I don't know much about metal making, but isn't steel like refined iron? So technically the mm-hmm. same thing. Well, so, I mean, it's it's iron that's been combined. Technically, it's an alloy. It's an alloy of like yeah. iron and carbon or something like that. Right. So so is pewter. Pewter's like copper and tin and like one other metal all mixed together. Okay, and they also mentioned brass, and I'm pretty sure that's I'm pretty sure that's an alloy as well. It's an so. alloy as well. Yeah. But um, uh, it, you know, this is a fantasy world. It could be different. Maybe these are all just general metals that are mined. Like mm. that's might just be how it works in this world. I don't know. Right? Yeah, you don't. You never know. I think. Let's see. The the eight basic metals were steel, iron, pewter, tin, zinc, brass, copper, and bronze. Those are the ones that he. I had to go back and find where he said he took them all. But those are the ones he lists off. And actually, of those, that's eight metals. Steel and pewter are alloys. Um, I think is brass an alloy. Uh, I think you got four and four with your alloys. And I know copper's not an alloy, but we talked about bronze. Is bronze one? Sorry, now you just got bronze me looking. Standard metal. <laughs> anyway, I need to pull up the periodic table. Uh, yeah, I'm totally yeah. like, huh? Let's see, what do we got here? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. It definitely seems like there's some regular metals and some alloys in here, and uh, who knows, could even come into play uh, the, the difference there somehow. Which, you know, if it did come into play, then 
you have to wonder if the other metal is an alloy of adium in some way. Possibly. Hmm. But yeah, that's that's out there. Uh, so I was, I mean, at this point, uh, we've talked about the battle. You guys kind of, we started out talking about it, kind of, and what you guys thought of it. So any final thoughts on the battle as we're leaving that behind to this first big action set piece that we've had? I I I am kind of in agreement with with Jamie that I think it was kind of a little clunky at times. So now that they've established, you know, this metal does this, this metal does this, this in fighting, I hoping like she was saying that we're not going to see that every time. They're, he's not going to reference the metal. I'd I'd really just like more of a description of the action, um, unless it's something weird or different or outside of the norm for what the metal does i hope it's not just like a continuous reference to metal 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 mm. yeah i did like while it was a bit clunky to read i you sort of had to stop how much actually went into making these moves like it's not as simple as as you know putting your arm out and pushing against something you know you've got to be looking at what metals are available taking into account is it going to work isn't it going to work is it too light is it too heavy you know, there's actually a lot of thought that he would have had to go through mm-hmm. to make that battle work as well as it did. You know, do you have a metal source available? You know, we're talking about like those blue lines, you know, that some of them, you know, you could see it was quite weak. Maybe it's just a hinge or something. And then you can see something that's obviously a lot more sturdy. So I think from, well, it was sort of hard to read. And I guess because we're, we're dissecting this book really as we're, reading through right. it so it's it's sort of hard to you got to read it and sort of appreciate it for what it is and then go back and dissect it mm-hmm. so i think it was really interesting to see how how much thought is going to have to go into a battle how skilled you have to be like you can't just simply be an alamancer like you've really got to put some time and effort into this craft to make it all work and you have to be in the right situation just because you're incredibly skilled doesn't mean you'll necessarily have the right the right tools and things available to be successful right I mean, so, you have to have the metals to, I guess, like eat or whatever in the first place. And then if you're not in the right environment where you have the stuff you need to use, then yeah. yeah. Well, they, they make a point of that. Like he, cause halfway through the battle, doesn't he run out of pewter and he has to down some more? Yep. And then, then I think one... he had third file even got taken off him. He like yep. felt it leave his belt or something. So, you know, that's oh, it. Okay. He can't ingest anything else. Yeah. Yeah. When 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 the other Alamancers show up, that in fact it seems like that's one of the things that contributes to him running away is because when they show up, he feels one of them like push the metal in the vial off of him basically, and throw it away so that he can't recharge again basically. Yeah. So you got to figure that's a tactic among people who can push and pull metal is they're going to try to get rid of the other person's metal if at all possible. Okay, well, let's. This one's been a little longer than uh, normal, but there was a lot of new stuff again. So let's move into predictions. What do people think? What 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 can we expect coming up? I think there's going to be like they've got this grand plan. They haven't really outlined how it's going to work. So I feel like well, there's going to be several steps to this plan. Like I don't know. I feel like while we expect a lot of things are probably going to go wrong at some point, I feel like now we're going to really get into the meat of it. Like them laying out their plan. You know. They've had their Ocean's Eleven-style meeting where they say, all right, this is what we're going to do, and now we're going to mm-hmm. see them start to enact it. And I feel like to really show off what some of these guys can do, there's there's going to be a few set pieces where these guys can really just show off, I guess, and then we as the reader can see what they can do and appreciate it. Hmm. So you think everybody's going to... All, all of our crew is going to make kind of their moment I, to show I, off. I, I feel like they probably will, because like, you know, we, we've, now we've met these characters... 
Um, and aside from Breeze, we haven't really seen much of what they can do in action. So mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, let's 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 see what they can do. Let's have some fun. All it right. sounds like we're waiting on a few more people as well. I think it was the end of the first chapter we read that Kelsey was expecting more people in the next day or two or something. So there's there's yep. probably another step of it. I mean, like you said, there's always a secret, you know. Yeah. Maybe this part of the team don't know about the other part of the team, or I think we've still got a bit to learn about how this is all going to fall together. But I do think that we won't be waiting very long to find out what's going to happen first. Well, we still haven't met his brother yet. And, well, we have not um, met his brother. And when the, when they when Ham and Breeze asked if Marsh was coming, like Kelsey and Doxon kind of just looked at each other and it's like, uh, no, no, he's not coming. Like, so something's clearly up there. <laughs> Okay, Joe, what do you think? What are we going to see? Um, yeah. I hope we I hope the next couple of chapters maybe do focus on his brother so we get a little more background on Kelsier cuz I feel like we've gotten I feel like we've gotten more personal background on Vin at this point than we've gotten on Kelsier. Although we have mm-hmm. learned some pretty important stuff like his wife dying and him wanting vengeance and all that kind there of was, stuff. There was one bit related to that that we kind of skimmed over is like right before he went off to raid the the, the rich person's house like where he's th- he's standing on the ledge and he like looks down and like he thinks oh normally when we do this my wife is at my side but now she's not here anymore and he gets really upset by that and yeah. I was like that's probably yeah. the most the most human moment we've seen from him this entire like so far and I thought that was just a really touching moment. It's like, yeah, he puts mm-hmm. on this big act. He's like super confident and flashy and dramatic, but he is actually hurting. Like he's he's got some serious emotional baggage. Yeah. So I I hope they delve into that a little bit more. Um, I predict that that will happen. That we'll get maybe part of that is with his brother as well. So maybe that that stuff will kind of be more focused on his relation, his personal relationships with his family, his 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 uh deceased wife and i'm predicting that the adm does something like way different than all these other alimantic metals if it's such a such a powerful tool and such an expensive tool Mm. my prediction is that it must do something like way beyond the normal abilities of whatever these other metals do based on what happened at um trusting's place you know uh, i would be i'd be willing to say it's something fairly destructive you know, this house was burnt to the ground. Mm. Yeah. So you think it's more akin to like the 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 metals like steel and iron that do something to stuff outside, not necessarily yeah. like the more internal ones that we've seen. Yeah, I would think so. It makes sense. But I mean, we also don't know thing. about all of the like we haven't. I don't think we've really gone into the details of all eight metals um, yet, too. So I mean, we don't know what other yeah. combinations he could have used and. Yeah, but so what do, what do we know now? Pewter, pewter's for strength. Tin mm-hmm. is for senses. Mm-hmm. Iron is for pulling or pushing. Oh, yeah, and steel push, iron pull. Yeah, that that, that sounds right. The, the, either way, we know both of those do either push yes. or pull. Steel um, pushes and iron pulls. Yeah. Did they have they talked about zinc? I think they've mentioned it. I can't remember what they said it did. Zinc, um, zinc. Uh, I think that's the one that he uses when he reaches out and pulls on the Inquisitor's emotions, or that's how he puts it. I think he like yanks on the Inquisitor's emotions. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and so that must be the one that that must be one of the ones that he gives to Vin as well to yeah, pull or way. push emotions. So 
and the club said something about the soothers and he meant he's i remember he said copper or no copper so that must be like i thought that was calming people down because that was what breeze was yeah, doing so and maybe, that's why clubs doesn't trust him yeah so coppers maybe her what she thinks is luck and uh think is the other way around maybe mm. uh so of the basic metals that leaves if that's all right then brass and bronze are the ones that are left which I don't Plus, think we've gone into yet that I can remember I anyway. I, I don't think so. No. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's a random guess for you. Like if like if Atium is the strength of the of the Emperor's power and like and he what do they say in, like he created the Empire and like all the volcanoes went off, he turned the sky red and everything else. Maybe Atium creates volcanoes and that's what that's 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 what Kelsey did underneath Tresting's Palace. He created a miniature volcano and burned the place down. <laughs> that would certainly wow. be really badass. Is that an official that would, prediction? Yeah, that'd be pretty crazy. <laughs> sure, let's throw that out there. Atium I feel like if you're volcanoes. giving Adium to all of the like selling it to all the great houses so they can fight with each other Here, or something. Start your own would... volcano whenever you want. <laughs> okay. You get a volcano. And you get a volcano. <laughs> and you get a volcano. <laughs> Okay, Jamie, you tried in a little bit on the other two's predictions. Do you have anything else specifically that you were thinking? Um, not not specifically. I think they've sort of covered where I think we're going with the, I guess, with the epigraphs. I we were talking about whether this is something in the past or in the future. I think we're looking at the past, and I think it's it's probably going to have something to do with how I reckon it's how the Lord Rulers, uh, I guess, reign came to be i think it's going to give us some important information about how we even got into this situation rather than it being something to resolve the future okay so i think that's interesting all right so before we wrap up i was going to hit on some more housekeeping stuff so as joe mentioned before the recording even started last monday the first episode went up i didn't kind of advertise it on any of the places that I'm planning to, like, you know, in the on the subreddit or boards or anything to get anybody to listen. Because the whole reason I put the first episode was so that we could start getting listed on places. Like, I found out that what I'd read last week was wrong, and you don't have to have three episodes to be an Apple podcast. But you do have to have one episode to be listed places. So I went ahead and put up the first episode kind of quietly so that I could just get everything listed everywhere and then everywhere that I could find. And then when second episode comes up and there's more than one thing for people to listen to i was going to start kind of telling people hey here's this new thing you can go to there's at least two episodes so you know you can decide if you like it or not and you can find it we're now on apple podcasts we're now on google play music we are on spotify we are on something called stitcher which is apparently a popular podcast app that i hadn't or uh, i hadn't heard of oh yeah stitcher's um, a big deal there may be a couple other places that I'm not thinking of right now, but basically uh, wherever fine uh, podcasts Podbean. are to be had. Podbean is the site that it, we're hosted on in the first place. So, yes, we are on there. That's also true. Uh, so, yeah, there's uh, where where podcasts are to be had, more or less, we are the, on there now. And so when the first, second episode comes up, I'm going to – which I'm hoping, I'm hoping to put them out on Mondays just generally. So it should be this Monday that – I put the second one up, and then I'll start kind of telling people, hey, go check this out. Interestingly, the second day that it was up, before I'd even gotten um, – second or third day, before I'd even gotten the approval from, like, Apple Podcasts or Google, somebody found us on Spotify, and we had two downloads 
episodes. One was me when I originally put it up, and then one was like some guy in Michigan or, or girl, someone in Michigan randomly downloaded the first episode of the podcast through Spotify. So if if you've continued listening, random person in Michigan, thanks. You were officially the first person <laughs> to hear this. Uh, but since I put it up other places, we've gotten a couple more downloads. But I'm you know put any word out or anything yet. So I'm hoping. Uh, we'll see some more people listening afterwards. But you can start telling people this week if if you have people that you want to be able to he- uh, hear you on the podcast that uh, we are up, we are available, all the places. Awesome. Yeah. And so anybody who's listening now, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Sanderlanch. We've got the Facebook page up too. And on Twitter, you can email us at the Sanderlanch at gmail.com. Send us messages, rate us on all the places. Wherever you download your podcast, leave us a rating or something so that other people can see if we're horrible or not. And uh, for next week, we are doing chapters six and seven. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We just did four and five. Six and seven comes after four and five, in case you didn't know. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here to I'm here to give information, important things that people need to know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll do those and it will be interesting to see. I think that these are a little shorter because chapter chapter five was quite long. And yeah, I was almost like, I was almost tempted to be like, let's yeah, let's have a cha- episode just on that. But since half of it was that fight scene and I was like, we don't need to go into super detail on the fight scene. And I figured it'd be OK. Chapter six is also kind of long, but I don't think it's quite as long. Maybe. And since I did it last time, let's just keep going with the update. At the beginning of Chapter 6, at the beginning of Chapter 6, we are officially 16% of the way through the book. <laughs> Super. So it's, it's, well, it's we should put that on the, the Facebook site. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His progress through writing, uh, writing the books and our progress through reading them. Exactly, yeah, we can have our own progress bar. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, that should be the title. That should be the title of the episodes. Is like like chapters five and six, sixteen percent. <laughs> I kind of like that actually, but no, that, that, <laughs> that, that seems a little bit obnoxious. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. Of, of yeah, but you might notice on the Facebook page and stuff though, and even on the Podbean page that I've kind of tried to theme it specifically to the book we're currently covering. So there's a like on the Facebook page, it's like the Sanderlanch Mistborn. And it has like a misty sort of picture. And on the Podbean page, it's very misty and kind of gray, which I feel like is the theme that fits with this book. Uh, when we move on to another book where the theme might be a little different, I'm hoping to change all that up and kind of keep us looking like whatever book we're currently covering. But anyway, thank you everybody for listening and we will see you again next week.